and all. We thank you for their dedication this morning. What a blessing. Amen. I've enjoyed the music this morning. I can't help but believe that God has been glorified in the songs. Ernie, that was quite a hymn story this morning. I have known that song, uh, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. I did not know that John Newton wrote it. And to think about that, that here a slave trader so notorious that his crew harpooned him when he fell overboard just to save him. Rather than throw him a life jacket, they threw him a harpoon and harpooned him in the lake. And that's but God's grace in saving him and uh, having him write Amazing Grace. And then that beautiful song that we read and sung this morning. Well, take your Bibles and to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I have a lot to say this morning. And I, I said, Lord, well, should I make this two messages or one message? Someone said, well, we're not having church services tonight, so I could preach two hours this morning. So uh, just blame that on whoever it was that said it to me. I can't remember who it was. How can you cover what the Bible says about fathers in one hour or whatever time we have. I hope you'll take notes. In your bulletin, there is a place to uh, write notes down. There might be certain things that will stick out to you. And even though this is a Father's Day message, I personally believe that it applies to all of us. So I encourage you to uh, pay close attention as we get into the message this morning. Dr. Wayne Horn who served as the president of the National Fatherhood Initiative, made this very gripping statement. He said, if America continues on its present course, 
it will be known as the nation of the founding fathers with no fathers to be found. In America, there are 24 million children that are being raised without a father in the home. One out of three children are being raised without their father. Can you imagine that in America? One attorney said to me 30, over 30 years ago, he says, I will be glad when we can redefine the family. Well, how well is that working out for our country? In the statistics from that, uh, the uh, Dr. Wade Horn's organization, he says that fatherless homes are four times greater to risk of poverty, uh, seven times more likely to become pregnant as teenagers, uh, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater to, uh, risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely obesity, more likely to commit crimes, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. Those are the statistics. And that is what we would say of fatherless homes. But can a home have a biological father there, but not have a father there? So what does it mean to have a father, and what is the responsibilities of us men today, and what are we doing to take on those responsibilities? I believe that today Christianity has actually become the counterculture to our country, and uh, we need to have and exemplify the right kinds of homes. I think it's time that we shut off the spigot of the things that have created the problems in our home and start getting serious about what is our responsibility. Some things that I'm going to say today, I think we all need to be pondering because to guard the gates of our home is very, very important. We don't realize how the devil is trying to come in and to destroy our homes. We have absent fathers, though they might be there in the homes. I'm glad that we have a great example of God the Father. Amen to that. And as the young people just saying, how great is that father's love to us? Well, that father in heaven sent his son to die on the cross so that we could become adopted into his family by accepting his son as our savior. And even though you might not have or know where your biological father is, you can have the greatest father of all, and that is God the Father, if you have him as your, sa as your Savior. Amen to that? And what a great example. Don't say that God doesn't love you. God loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross so that we can have everlasting life. When we think of God the Father setting an example, we can think about being godly. And so that should catch our attention. What is to be godly? It is to act like God and not to have godlessness. Okay, does that talk about... And when you think about those words, godly, to be like God, or godless, God does not want us to be godless. Can there be things that are in our progressive society that is, and what we can use is godless? They talk about progressive society, but where's it progressing to? We have social media today, and I noticed that, uh, Cheryl, you put in our bulletin, maybe it's the first time I noticed it, but you put a little thing in there that you can watch this on Facebook Live and various things, and we have a lot of media today, and those medias can be used in a good fashion, but they can also be used in a godless way. When they say that the average young person today spends 30-some hours on some type of technology, that could be, uh, they used to say that the average home spent 27 hours on television. Now you add to that the texting and the Facebook. Can it be God-less? Yes. If you were to look at most things that are on Facebook, you'll find that even Christians leave God out of their Facebook. Why? 
Why not put verses on there? I think of Ellen McAllister, that when you read her Facebook page, that you have verses there. There's encouragement there. Why don't we use it that way? How many, by the way, have Facebook or even know how to text? Let's see your hands, all right? About half of this crowd. Isn't that something? How about using it for God more rather than God less? All right? So we think about those things. Uh, We need to be using the things that we have to advance the cause of Christ. I'm afraid that we don't even talk about God in our homes. A lot of the conversation that goes on around the dinner tables. And by the way, they say that 75% of families do not sit down together at the dinner table. Are we progressing or are we going downhill? Well, as we go into this, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's interesting, I struggled with this message. And I pray that it will speak to our hearts. Father, I ask you to do your work, your way in this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I think this year, the Bible has captured my attention probably greater than any year of my life. And uh, as I got into the book of Deuteronomy, I just almost like a heightened appreciation for the book as I read it again for the first time. You know what I'm talking about? When you read the Bible and you pick it up, you, you find so many nuggets of truth. Moses is in the last year of his life. He's going to die. He knows he's going to die. And what you find there is in the first four chapters, he reviews to Israel what God has done for them. In chapter 5, can anybody tell me what's in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy? There you go. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. That's why it's called Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. He basically rehashes the uh, principles that are found in Exodus and Leviticus and, and then some of the things that are in Numbers also. He retells the story. He gives this, the Ten Commandments over again. How important are the Ten Commandments? Our Supreme Court understood how important the Ten Commandments were as, the, as Moses is the key figure over the justice, uh, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Not only that, as you see on the, on the doors, one through ten, uh, they are listed. How aghast I was when I went to Washington, D.C. for the very first time in my life, and the woman that got up there had the audacity to say that that one through ten on the doors of the Supreme Court were the Bill of Rights. And that when Moses had his arm over the, this pillar, that underneath that 1 through 10, by the way, it's on that as well, with Moses' arm on it, that it was about the Bill of Rights. And I scratched my head and I said, I thought Moses was a little bit older than when our country was started. But is there a ploy to take away the Ten Commandments? as we've taken that out of our schools, how well is that working out for us? Now notice as he begins chapter 6, catch that first word. And this always, you know, it catches you. He says, now. I like that. He's reminded us of how great God is. He's given to us the Ten Commandments. And he says, now. Now. So as we get into this, verses 1 through 7, and by the way, I personally believe that as we get into chapter 6, God wants us to influence and train the next generation. And I believe Moses understands how important it is to make sure that we convey to the next generation how wonderful God is, how true His Word is, how important His laws are. And in there, in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6, he talks about train them to love God. And then in chapter uh, 6, verses 10 through the end, 25, he says, teach them to have a grateful heart. Two things. Love God and have a grateful heart. Do you write that down? Two things. 
He says, now, be a good guide. Are we a good guide? God says in Matthew's account, he says, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the world. We are to illuminate the, the paths uh, as, as people see our light shine in this world. He says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where you're going to possess it. He says, take God's word and be doers of it. Have we heard that before? You know, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not only to be hearers of the word, but to be what? Doers. And so is the man who builds his house upon the rock. Can I say this? If we want to have godly homes, then we need to be godly. If we want to put our family first, then we need to be putting God first. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So if we want godliness, then we take God for what he says, and we exemplify it. And so he says, these are the things that I, you heard. We want you to go out and you want you to, to do these things. Now, we are all influencers. We can ask ourselves, are we influencing in the right direction or the wrong direction? When people follow me, where am I leading them to? We have little eyes, grandchildren, neighbors who are watching us. You sense that in Moses' writing, there's an urgency. Time is running out. When Pastor Nathan and I got together this week, I said, Pastor Nathan, you can possibly sense that there's an urgency because time is running out. Do you know we are within a few weeks of the 4th of July and this year is going to be half over already? Have you noticed that time is speeding up? Especially as we get older, doesn't it? Urgency. Training the next generation. We've been talking about on Wednesday night how important it is for our older folks to take and to train and to teach and to help our younger generation to, to love God. Is it important? Yes or no? Is it a suggestion in the book of Titus, chapter 2, where he tells about the older teaching the younger? Is that a suggestion or is that a command of God? It's a command. And how important it is. An urgency. The direction. Then going in the right direction, verses 2 and 3, he says that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. To keep all the statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons. What's the sons' sons there? Is that talking about grandchildren? I asked uh, Brother Bob this morning, Lundin, I says, Are you a grandfather? He says, Yes. He says, Are you a great grandfather? He said, Yes. How many great grandfathers do we have here? Who, Steve, you're a great grandfather? Oh, ho, ho. Carl, you're a great grandfather? I knew you were, uh, Brother Harold. I, you just look at you, I can tell you're a great-grandfather. <laughs> Whoa! What a privilege. I rarely, barely got to even know one of my grandparents. I wish I'd gotten to know my uh, grandfather from my mother's side. He died at 40-some years of age of a heart attack. Never got to meet him. Is it a privilege to be a grandparent? Yeah, they say that's the reward for not killing your kids, so I don't know if that's <laughs> truth or not. <laughs> but it's great to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. My parents are coming this week. I'm so excited about them coming. How important it is for me to make them feel special. We've planned a couple trips where they can not only get with their grandkids, 
but their great-grandkids while they're here. We've planned two trips for them to be able to get with their great-grandkids here. How special. How special it is. Going in the right direction. Listening to instruction. Here, therefore, he says in verse 3, O Israel, and observe to do it. Do you see this? And it may be well with thee. Yes or no? Is God's word true? You want it to be well in your home. You want it to be well in your life. You want it to be well on your journey. Then listen and do. It is so true. There's nothing that breaks my heart more as a pastor than when people will not follow God's there's nothing that breaks my heart more than when I don't follow God's word. You see, we're all in the boat together, aren't we? May God help us. He says, listen, he says, it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that flows with milk and honey. Boy, there's a promise that is going to be fulfilled that Israel now is going to be able to enjoy after not only 40 years of wandering, but you go back all the way. I think it goes all the way back. I'm not sure whether it was Moses or who was given that promise. It would be interesting. Someone tell me after the service whether it went all the way back to Abraham or not. I'm trying to think it did, but but in something inside of me saying, no, I think it went to Moses. But, but anyways, here they're going to be fulfilling a promise. They're going to be able to come into this this land, and all, oh, oh, God's word is true. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, you want to keep from stumbling, let God's word be that light. Boy, I was reading this morning, I just started the book of Psalms. What amazing book. Psalm 1 talks about don't sit in the seat of the ungodly or stand in the ways of sinners, but... But, but uh, delight yourself in the Lord. Turn, turn, you don't have to, if you can. I, I was just reading Psalm 119. And, and just, the, these Psalms are amazing Psalms. And it's amazing how much is written in these Psalms. But listen to these verses. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. This is verse 7 of Psalm 19. Making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, I, you know, we have a society today that does not want to follow rules and regulations, and yet God says that God's word is so wonderful. It can enlighten the eyes. It can light your path. It can give wisdom to the simple. He says... Uh, in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. People resist these things, but the fear of God is, is so powerful. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Yes or no? God is a just God. More to be desired are they than gold. Whoa. What are we pursuing after? Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb, more by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Wow. I love that passage. You ought to know where Psalm 19 is. By the way, you can sing that passage. How many have ever sung that, that passage before? All right. Man, maybe someday you could sing that for us, Larry. I would love that. And maybe, Rose, we could have a duet else was here that wants to join this duet oh debbie back there and oh glenda one of you ladies put it together it's marvelous that's what psalms is it's the hymn book of the bible by the way hymns are wonderful aren't they you think of the truths of the hymns. i don't know about you but when i listen to Sarah, play that violin special this morning for the beauty of the earth. There's a peace that just transcends from that music into your soul. 
Can there be music out there that can cause confusion in your soul? Mark it down, my friends. Oh, these verses. In Psalm 119, I think it's the longest chapter in the Bible, some 150 verses or so. And all every verse talks about the, 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 the beauty and the strength of God's Word. We need to teach our children to be biblical thinkers. Y'all know what I mean by that? To be a biblical thinker. When we make decisions... When we ponder what we should do, instead of sometimes asking the age-old question, which often comes into a humanistic mindset, is we'll ask the question this way, what do you think we should do? I wonder what I should do. Remember the man in Luke chapter someplace? <laughs> I think it's chapter 12 or 15, chapter 12, where he talks about all the wealth that he had, and he says, I wonder what I should do. I'm going to build bigger barns. That night his soul was required of him, and the author of the scriptures says, and whose shall these be when you leave? Oftentimes we need to come back and we need to come into the habit of saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, how do you want us to address this? I tell you what, we're going to start on this Wednesday night on uh, what makes a healthy us and we're going to be going into prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Do you think we can do better in prayer in our families and in our church and in our communities? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to answer that? How do you want me to address that? Oh, I'm telling you, we need to be biblical thinkers. What does God's word say about it? Do you know oftentimes we'll make a decision without biblical principles behind it? And we can get into such a habit of leaving the Bible out. That's where we are. Is that convicting? Convicting to me. How about to you? I would hope. Become biblical thinkers. Make those decisions. More to be desired are they than gold. In verse 4, he talks about, he says, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one Lord. Moses wants them to remember this. Remember his goodness. Remember his hands. When you come into land, turn over to chapter 8. In verse 2, you'll see this. This has caught my attention uh, as we, uh, and I've had opportunities to speak at different pastors' conference. You can see Moses' urgency is don't forget what God has done. Verse 2, he says, Thou shalt remember all that which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or not. Verse 11, beware that thou forget not thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes and that he commanded thee this day. Verse 14, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 17, and thou say in thine heart, my power and my might and my hand have gotten me this well. Listen, I'm telling you. My friends, oftentimes we come to the Lord and we pray and God becomes the center focus of our family when we're in problems. I'm going to tell you this. It ought to be that God ought to be the center of our attention all the time. And when problems aren't there, we ought to be praising the Lord all the day long. Is that not correct? How much praising goes on in our homes? Not enough. Can I hear a hearty amen on that? You know, sometimes our children think that God's just a big old ogre, 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 because there's not much praising in our homes. I want to encourage us with this. And then in verse 5 and 6, he, this is about being this good guide. He, he says, and to love God, verse 5, notice this. 
He says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. By the way, in the New Testament, it says, upon this, and loving our neighbor, hangs all the commandments. I love, brother, uh, our, our missionary to Japan, the Cra- uh, Craigs. Thank you, Micah. The Craigs. He had, how many children? Do you have 20 some children that, 29 children? Yeah, that's a lot of children, isn't it? They adopted somewhere around 20 some of them, 25 of them. I think they had four biological children. I'm not absolutely sure you could read about there on our, our mission board. But he says, you know, he says, in 29 kids at home, now they have so many grandkids also, and kids all over the world in the ministry and everything. He says, we had two rules in our house. Love God, love others. That's pretty good, isn't it? Love God, love others. How does everything filter through to that? Boy, I like that. He says here to love God with your everything. He's, it was interesting. I was thinking about this this morning. Your heart, your soul, and all your strength. There's something left out there that's still a part of you. Well, and that's in the New Testament, the mind. Because heart and mind oftentimes are interchangeable. The flesh is not in here. I, I thought, you know, there's a part of me that doesn't love God. It's called the flesh. My flesh loves me more than it loves God. Dr. Ken Collier of the Wilds, he said there are two choices on the shelf. Loving God or loving self. Here he says, love God with everything. And he says in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Okay, got it? Love God. The right view and values. Know God's word. More important than the stock market. Yes or no? More important than how bad the trailblazers are playing. We have been teaching that stuff is more important than the Savior. Remember God. Love God. Matthew chapter 16 verse 26 says, For what is a man profit if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? You know, you could also fill in there, what will we give in exchange for a godly home? What decisions are we making? Stuff. Materialism. The more materialistic we are, the more materials we need. What do we value? Is the checkbook more important than the character book? Cool tennis shoes. That are going where? Choosing the American dream or a heavenly mansion. Does this all make sense to us? Oh, you say, preacher, I know all this stuff. We do, right? We all know this here. But how are we conveying it today? How are we really teaching? What kind of guides are we? I know this is a good checkup. This is a good checkup for me as a grandparent now. What's important? Teaching them to value self, to value entertainment, or the Savior and serving. You know, kids and people today are some of the most unhappy, angry people that I've ever met today. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave the secret of happiness. Remember what it is? Found in John chapter 13, after he washed the disciples' feet, he says, if you know how to wash feet and you go out and wash people's feet, you're going to have happiness. Let's teach our children and our young people to be servants. To teach them to be a servant, that means we need to be a servant. Do you all remember when there was not uh, fast food restaurants? How many remember be, uh, the time before McDonald's? 
I can barely remember that time. How many times did we go out to eat back in those days? Couldn't afford it, isn't that right? When you see families at the restaurant, are they having family time or texting time? Just look around. Just look around. He says to love God. And now, now listen. Then verse 7. Y'all get this? There are, there, are, there are six verses, now verse 7. And that is, teach them right. But to teach them right, we need to be right. Well, my kids aren't respectful. My kids aren't doing this. My kids aren't doing that. My grandkids are like this. You know what I find? There are six verses that lead up to verse 7. And those six verses is telling us to love God now and to, to know God. And now he says, now you get to that place. Now you can teach them. And he says, teach them how? Diligently. You see that in verse 7? Teach them diligently. It's an interesting Hebrew word here. It is actually the word for wet the saw. Do you know what it means to wet the saw? In other words, when you go and you sharpen your saw or you sharpen the axe, you, you hone it on a, uh, I'm thinking it's a honing stone. Is that what it's called? A whetstone. A whetstone. That's the word that's there. It's, it's the whetstone. You become that whetstone. You're sharpening your kids in the right direction. More important than kids' sports. More important than how they make money. You wet them in the right direction. And you look at all these things to love God, to love His Word. Teach them right. Teach them with consistency. In Ephesians chapter 6, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. You know, by the way, there are no qualifications there. It just says do it. Right or wrong? Which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I like that. I like that. John MacArthur applied this passage of scriptures, and he says, children do not go bad because of something their parents do. They are born sinful, and that sinfulness manifests itself because of what their parents do. Do not do. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, 15, that foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. The word bond there, or bound, is the word entangled. In other words, children are entangled here. There's a foolishness that's entangled into a child's heart because they're born sinful. And, and the Bible says that we're to untangle that child so that they can see straight. Here in verse 4, it says, And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do fathers provoke their children? Can I say that if you haven't untangled your life, how in the world are we ever going to untangle a child's life? Inconsistency in our homes is causing such frustration with our children. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Right or wrong? Say what you mean and mean what you say. Y'all got that? That's a good rule, isn't it? Boy, I knew my dad meant what he said. I'm thankful for it. I'm very thankful for it. Because if we don't mean what we say and say what we mean, we actually teach our young people that God might not mean what he says also. Provoking, showing favoritism. Genesis 27, that we saw that take place with uh, 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 Joseph and Jacob there. You can discourage them. You can neglect them. You can be a hypocrite. Uh, you can be uh, continually degrading them. You can be uh, having ex excessive discipline. You can have a lack of love. You can be uh, trying to make your child into what you wanted to be, but you never could achieve. 
Bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Do you think all of us can do better in raising our children? We surely can. I know I could have. I've asked my kids time and time again to forgive me of how I made the mistakes as a parent. The Bible says here to bring them up. The word bring them up is the word to nurture them. I mean, to, to, um, excuse me, is to nourish them, to nourish them. You know, we're, there's so much today about healthy diets, isn't that right? In the obesity of our children and things like that. This nourishment here to bring them up here is, uh, is, is to bring them up, is to nourish them in two things, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word nurture is the word for discipline or chastisement. The Bible says that he that spareth his rod, what does he do? He hates his child. But he that loveth him, chasteneth him early in life. And I personally believe that that betimes there is, it can mean often, but I think it means more of early. They say that the character of a child, 80% of a character of a child is developed by six years of age. And so those first six years of age, you are the disciplinarian. I love what growing God's kids way uh, has is the four stages of parenting. The uh, Zero to six is you are the disciplinarian, or one to six, I should say. One to six is the disciplinarian. Uh, then you become the, the trainer from uh, the, the elementary age, six through 12. Then the teenage years, you become a coach. And then after 18 or so there, you become a friend. I love that. Train them up in the way they should go. Someone said that the nurture refers more to what you do to the child, the use of the rod there, but the admonition refers to more what you say to the child, including warning and instruction, teaching the child spiritual disciplines. Got it? How many got it? Okay. Last point. Be a good guard. Be a good guard. Be a good guard. You know, it's interesting, not only here is it found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, but in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he reiterates this about training your children and teaching them. Be a good guard. Don't uh, let Satan breach the walls of your life. In knowing the truth, we need to teach the truth. In Psalm 119, 9 through 11, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Teach them God's word. Help them to recite God's word. Help them to meditate on God's word. Psalm 1 talks about the success as a tree planted by the waters of those who uh, meditate on God's Word. Teach them to have a relationship with God the Father. Teach them that it's not about a religion. It's not about who you are. Teach them about who it is that they worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Teach reverence. Teach respect. Teach gratitude. Teach morality. Teach them to love the God of the universe, the Creator, and His Word. Then know the dangers. In verses 10 through 12, which we won't read, but you can follow on with the rest of this chapter if you go home or want to study out a little bit more. Moses is saying, you're going to go in the land. And there's dangers in that land. By the way, are there dangers in America that we live in? Do we have to be in Afghanistan, uh, um, Aaron, to have dangers you know, oftentimes, as a soldier in Afghanistan, you knew the enemy, you knew the dangers. The tragedy in America is the average home does not know the enemy, and they don't know the dangers. Could the danger be in Hollywood? You ever notice the philosophy of Hollywood? How the sitcoms, Leave it to Beaver, has become these... Modern family and sitcoms that buffoon the family, they buffoon marriage. People jumping in and out of bed with whoever comes their way. 
like I say, Christianity becomes the new counterculture. Sitting in front of the television, guard what you watch. You know, he says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. He's saying these are the things. This is what's supposed to be going on in our house. And thou shalt bind them on their hands, and they shall be frontlets between their eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of the house and on the gates. Man, help them to know what the Word is. Help them to be able to see life through a biblical thinking process. Too much is being filtered through the philosophy of television. The media. Do you think the media has an agenda? How about schools? Do the schools have an agenda? How much money, the billions of dollars that is spent on education and the hours that's there, do they hear about God in school? Do they see the average person on television with God? And how much time do we spend with them? Isaiah 3 verse 4 says, And I will give children to be their princess, and babes shall rule over them. Isaiah is writing 700 years before Christ. That is almost 3,000 years ago. He's saying that in the end time, the children are going to rule. Who's making the decisions today? I remember when I went to the school board and talked to them about the transgender issue and how that we want uh, to help our children in through this and that don't go and make the bathrooms open to bathroom of choice. And I remember them telling me there that we asked our children what they thought about this, and they don't have a problem. Therefore, we don't have a problem. And now our Bethel School District, and I don't know what other school districts around here, have it to where a child can go in from kindergarten through high school to the bathroom of their choice. How much time do they spend in Sunday school? How much time do they spend in church? How much time do they spend in front of the television? How much time do they spend in school? You see why we're losing the battle? But you teach a child to love God. You teach a child to filter what they hear, what they see through God's Word. Can you watch television filtering it through God's Word? I believe you could. Can they go to a public school and filter when the teacher gets up there and talks about evolution and that child has a filter there that's more powerful than that teacher? I believe they can. Who was it? I think it was Abraham Lincoln's mother who said, Who rocks the cradle rules the nation. I want to ask you this question. Who's rocking the cradle today in America? I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart. I look at children, I look at teenagers, I look at young adults, I look at older adults, and I see a world that's heading in the wrong direction. God wants us to be the guide. The Bible says a child left to himself brings his mother shame. Yes or no? Well, guard the gates. Amen? Be a good guide. Be a good influence. Go in the right direction. Remember God. Love God. Teach them right. Be a good guard. Know the truth. Know the dangers that are around, that are stalking them to destroy them. The Bible says in the end time that men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Did he hit it? That was written two, almost 2,000 years ago. He said, end times is going to be like that. Is that the way it is? Yeah. Father, I pray that you help us as 
parents, grandparents, just born-again believers, whether we have children or grandchildren or not, it is my prayer that we will come to love your word, to make the right choices. I think that, Lord, we need to stop and we need to ponder what we are teaching by the priorities of our life, by what we allow in our homes, where we take our children, or where we don't take them. Father, I pray that you will forgive us as a nation that has pursued the almighty dollar rather than the almighty. I thank the Lord for parents here at Westside Baptist and grandparents who have caught the vision that they want to be a godly influence. And Lord, you've been breaking my heart lately that sometimes I've thought, well, I've spent 30 years raising children. My job is done. Forgive me for that attitude because, Lord, our influence will go to the grave and hopefully to our children's graves and to our great-grandchildren's graves. May God help us to understand the importance of our role in raising a generation that loves you. And, Lord, when we are in a society today that fewer and fewer people are going to church, fewer and fewer things are taking place in Christendom, and then 80% of our young people leave church at 18 years of age. And we look. We see what's being influencing their lives. Father, we have to get on board, work harder. I pray that in this invitation that you have spoken to hearts and that you would break us from becoming callous in our own lives for the generation that's out there for the generation that is coming to church, for those young people and those children and those lives that we need to be influencing. God, give us a passion for Thee. Have Your way in our lives. Let's stand to our feet. The instruments playing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way.